Last night I was sitting watching the Davis and Elkins men's basketball team mop the floor with West Virginia Wesleyan and I got a text message from Bryce. Dear Dan, I'm sick. We're having a little difficult time finding someone to speak. What do you think? I said, Dear Bryce, what about that? Da 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 person. I said, Give me 30 minutes. So I actually texted a friend of mine who I'm very, very close with from California, Pennsylvania, Pete Ware. He's our campus minister there. I said, Pete, what are you doing tomorrow? He's like, oh, sorry, I'm busy or I'd come down. So I said, sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so I kind of reworked a sermon that I actually gave in uh, Belvernon, Pennsylvania, where we lived for 21 and odd years, as kind of my going away sermon. But I'm not going away. But I kind of reconstituted it. And I reconstituted it just with a little bit with, with this underpinning, and this is what I really am going to want you to understand. I want to kind of give you a renewed and fresh look of how important our relationship with Christ is, and then therefore how important our relationship with each other is. Uh, am I supposed to dismiss Children's Church? Oh, good. See, I did that right. I did. So if you would follow Kenna... And Emily Dyer is Emily. Thank you. Um, appreciate that. So to me, relationships are quintessential to everything else that we have. It is something unique that we as people get to enjoy. And I want to share a little story about uh, relationships and, and how important they are. So when Isaiah, so we have... To remind you, we have four. Isaiah is our oldest one. Isaiah was probably 12. Um, we started in our baseball little league thing, having 12-year-olds learn to umpire. It was a great thing. Uh, Joel was 10. And Isaiah is umpiring his first game. And I'm, you know, the dad umpiring the bases. And one of the things it's important to understand, if you don't know umpiring in baseball, the base umpire never overrules the home plate umpire unless the umpire at home asks for help. Right? So um, Isaiah's done the first inning. Joel gets up to bat. I say to myself, self, this should be very interesting. Uh, so the first pitch, Joel, I think, swings and misses. And then something happens. There was a little delay. And the next pitch gets called a strike. And Isaiah says, strike three, you're out. Joel looks at him and goes, that was only two. Like, oh boy. Isaiah looks at him, says, That's three. I said you're out. Joel goes back to the dugout. Tears start. Like, oh no. Now, had Isaiah come and asked me, I would have said, Look, son, you got to count to three, not two. But he didn't, so I'm not going to overrule him. Uh, between innings, he goes, How am I doing? I said, Well, you really should give your brother three strikes instead of two. He's like, Oh. I, I said, And you got to be careful because. When you're calling strikes, you're calling them too low. You got to bring your strike zone up. So for baseball fanatics, you know, the strike zones at the knees. He was calling to, is he going to bring it up? Little did I know, Joel's going out to pitch the next inning. Joel pitches in such a way where every single pitch is between the knee and the thigh. Consistently. First batter gets up, ball one, ball two. Joel's like, what's going on? Ball three, ball four, you walk. Next kid gets a hit. 
Next kid walks. Joel now is in tears on the mound. The coach comes out, calms Joel down. The next kid walks. Joel didn't walk kids, but he's throwing pitches, and I told Isaiah, bring the strike. This is a catastrophe. The game's over. We get in the car. Joel sits in the, we have a little scion. You know, you can pit two people in the back. About Joel sits in the front. Isaiah gets, or Joel sits in the back. Isaiah gets in the front beside me. I said, uh-uh, get in the back. <laughs> sits down. And I say to myself as a dad, what do you say? What? Do you say something to Joel? Do you say something to Isaiah? I went, no. I've got an idea. You just say something like you do every other game. So, boys, how was the game? <laughs> they, like, ripped into each other. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know how to pitch. You don't know... And so we lived about seven or eight minutes from home. We drove home. It was constant. And this is the part that's really cool. Pull into the driveway, and I get out, and they get out. I said, stop. Sit down. Your relationship as brothers is more important than a stupid baseball game. You don't get out of this car until your relationship is fixed. And I left. I don't know what happened. But a few minutes later, they came in. It was all good. Because we have really instilled in them and all four of our kids and our family how critical, critical relationships are. You also need to know about me, besides the fact that I love baseball, I also love movies about time travel. <laughs> By the way, Back to the Future episode one, season number one, was the best of all three. So just... Humor me for a minute. Let's pretend we time travel. And we're going to bring back Aaron. Aaron time travels, you know, Moses and Aaron. Aaron time travels, and he's standing here. And I say to Aaron, Aaron, why don't you come with me into the presence of God? What does Aaron say? That was a, not a rhetorical question, by the way. What does Aaron say? Yeah, wait a minute. I have not ceremonially cleaned myself, right? What else? Been there? Yep. Okay. My guess is he's petrified. So we're going to begin uh, looking at Luke chapter 16. And I want to read just a little bit about Luke 16, verses 2 to 5. I just threw Chris off his game because that verse was coming up later. And I want to kind of give you a picture, and then we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10 and how this all relates. So Luke 16, I'm going to read from the ESV, and Chris is going to have up there uh, Luke 16. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come into the holy place in, inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, or so that he may not, what? 
die. Oh, that's comforting. For I will appear, I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Built in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist. He will wear a linen turban. These are the holy garments. And he shall bathe his body, like you said, uh, in water, then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for the sin offering, one ram for a burnt offering. Dan, I cannot come into the presence of God until we do these things. What? It was so complicated that if a priest were to go into the Holy of Holies unclean, what would happen? Die. Matter of fact, on their robes, they would tie bells. And if the bells stopped dinging, what did that mean? dead. How do we get them out? They also tied a rope around their leg because I can't go in to rescue them because now I'm dead. So it just becomes a compounding problem. So the people of the Old Testament, and this was only one day of, ye of the year is during Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, when the priest would come and go offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people of Israel. And he would sprinkle the blood of the ram. He would sprinkle the blood of one goat, the other goat that they would actually end up letting go, um, for the people of Israel. And it was so difficult. And it was only one person that could do it. But that was God's way of saying, I want to restore our relationship with me and my people Israel. Thankfully, today, we don't need to do that. It's a little bit better. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to begin reading uh, the some of the first few verses. Verse 19, we're going to start with. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. I'm also going to read verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. So in verse 19, let us enter in the presence with confidence. Enter into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. In the Old Testament, that was impossible. But just think about if, Aaron, oh, by the way, we beamed Aaron back through the time travel machine. But imagine what Aaron would say today. Imagine what any of the, the high priests would say. You can't enter into his presence. You can't have that relationship with the Most High God or you will be struck dead with the sacrifice of 
with Christ's sacrifice, that is all now over. And as I kind of read through this, it just renewed in me a, wow, look how good we have it. How awesome we have that we can now enter into God's presence. I don't need to, I can just be me. So he says, enter in the, therefore, brothers and sisters, so this is written to everybody, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the present, by the blood of Jesus. It doesn't say that we enter in the most holy place with arrogance. Don't confuse arrogance and confidence. So the confidence isn't, look, Jesus, who I am. Now you just sit down, I'd like to talk to you. That's arrogance. Confidence is, because of the blood of Christ over me, I can come into the presence of God because I am what? Clean. But I don't feel very clean. God, do you know what I did yesterday? Yeah, he does. Do you know what I'm thinking right now? Yeah, he does. But it doesn't say anything about how I feel. It doesn't say about anything I've done. It doesn't say anything about how I'm upset at people or why I should have done. It says you have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. In the Old Testament, when you would go through that, into that holy place, you would also have to pass through a curtain. Now that curtain was not like a curtain that we have over here. That curtain, they estimate, was about 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide, and get this, four inches thick. So it took, they estimated 30 priests to be able to move that curtain. Quick trivia, what happened to that curtain upon the death of Christ? It was ripped from top to bottom. Signifying what? Come on in. So in verse uh, 20 and 21, by a new living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. We have been granted now access to be able to come into the most holy place because that curtain is now ripped. That curtain is now gone. I want to just read really quickly Hebrews chapter 4 because uh, this talks about the high priest too and, and how Christ is our high priest. Since then, this is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, yet was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. It's just another way of looking at, in Hebrews, how we can draw near to that great high priest through that curtain which was now ripped. Verses 22 and 23, I'm sorry, 21. Uh, Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings. 
having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us with a guilty conscience, cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. In this, he's saying, let us draw near to God. What are other verses that you know of that Jesus said about drawing near? Yep, yep, James, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. What else? Yeah, Matthew 11, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will put more burden on you. Now, and I will give you rest. What else? I'm re-invited the little children. Bring, come, bring, and bring the little children to me. Right? So this invitation... Um, of drawing near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings is something that is also radically different from what the people, the nation of Israel knew. It's also, think how different it is than someone who doesn't really understand the Christian faith. So wait a minute, you mean you're gonna go talk to God? Yeah, right now. Uh, well, how, how are you going to do that? I'm just going to come talk to him. Well, how are you allowed to do that? Because it says, I have a sincere heart with full assurance that faith brings. I can just come to him. Don't you need to go talk to your pastor? No. Well, don't you need to go like, give an offering or do some kind of ceremony? No. Well, don't you need to be in church to do that? No. What, what it, because it doesn't make sense to people. And sometimes I wonder if it doesn't make sense to us that we can very clearly enter into the most holy of holies anytime, anywhere, by myself. I don't need somebody special. I, because of the work of Christ and my faith in him. If you just let that settle for a minute, the thousands of generations before us probably would go, well, that's not fair. I couldn't have done that. The thousands of people that are our neighbors and our friends that don't understand that probably go, well, that doesn't make sense to me. But that is the heart of God to be able to say, I want this relationship with you. Just come to me. Well, I do before a meal, I do before bed, and I, all day, anytime, anywhere, with any circumstance. I love in here um, where it says, Uh, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. If you think back to the, to the I have to flip my notes over here, uh, to Leviticus 16, the part that I read about having our bodies washed with pure water makes a lot of sense 
because the, holy, the priests would have to do that. But down in verse, in Leviticus 16, and, and Chris, you don't have this slide. Um, verse 14, he shall take some of the blood of the bowl and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. In the front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle, sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. This is where it, it comes from. Then later down, verse 19, regarding the goat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse and consecrate it with the un for the uncleanliness of the people of Israel. So, so this is very similar to what would have happened in the Old Testament of the sprinkling of blood, except now it says, we are free from a guilty conscience having, I'm sorry, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience having our bodies washed. So metaphorically, it's the same thing, except now it's not the blood of a ram or of a goat, it's the blood of Christ. Just think about that for a minute. That is so awesome. And that all is about God saying, I want this relationship with you. Constant, ongoing. And then in verse 23, and let us hold unswervingly. I don't remember what it says in that. Let us hold steadfast. I love this. Unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful. So that's, in that passage, that is all about our relationship with the Lord. And then the next part is our relationship with each other. Well, what I think is kind of interesting is if you think about in that first section, how many times do we see the words, we, us, our? It's nine. There might be more in your translation. But there are nine times when he says, we have confidence uh, opened for us since we have a great high priest. It's corporate. He could have written it in the singular, and you can, and you can, but he didn't. He wrote it corporately, together. And this next part, verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day approaching. Some people I've heard take that verse, let us not give up beating together, a little bit out of context. When you put it in context of the relationship it is with the Lord and with each other, it does make a lot of sense. So verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And up here it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope and without wavering for you promises faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So a couple, couple contextual things here. Um, this stir up or spur is the same as to stimulate, same as to kind of incite, not like in a bad way, but kind of like to push forward, to get moving, to let's not just sit around and do nothing, let's do something. It's a, it's a pushing. The love here is an agape love. That's as much Greek as I know. 
Uh, and this is our goodwill, our love to each other, our love, our love to God. So let us figure out, I'm going to put it in 2024, let us figure out how we can push each other to have greater love with God and to good deeds to help. So it said, let us consider. So let's consider. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to take about a minute and think about, hmm, how should I, because it said, let us consider, what are some ways that we could do this? What are some ways that we could stir up, spur one another on to love and good works? So think about that for like 30 seconds. seconds seems like forever. All right, you thought of some things? I'd like you now to uh, turn to some people right around you and share with them. Here's some things that I thought about that we could consider how we could stir or spur one another on to love and good works. So take about a minute, share with people around you. Here's some things that I thought about, ways that we could practically do that. All right, I'm curious, what are some of the things you talked about? What are some ways that we, Elkins Alliance Church, should consider of how we can spur one another on to love and good works? Okay, modeling being an example. Could. That love part really throws a wrench in that, but yeah. first, so putting yourself out first rather than waiting them for them, right? Yeah. What about within our body here, just us? Or as we'd say in Pittsburgh, yuns. Yeah. What are ways that we can spur each other on to loving good deeds? I think 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Certainly a work of the Holy Spirit and certainly what he puts on our hearts. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, the, the sharing time is a great example. Yep, yep. What is at the heart of it? Love. Built with relationships. If I don't have a relationship with you and I come up to you and say, you know, I'm going to spur you on to loving good deeds, it doesn't go very far. Today's vernacular, it's, well, I'm just old school, so that somehow gives me a license to tell you what I think. I don't see that anywhere in here at all. Because, don't take it out of context from what was just before it. All about how we can come into the presence of God we don't react the opposite of that and come into the presence of somebody else and say, I'm going to tell you what. No. It's built on, and I'll add this, intentional relationships with intentional conversations. Let me just read you a little bit about uh, a group of 27 to 42 year olds. Raise your hand if you're a millennial. You were born between 1981 and 1996. All right. Great. This is, this is from the Barna Research Group. If you ever really want to look at some great stuff, uh, Barna does a lot of research about church and marriage and family and stuff. First factor that will engage millennials at church is as simple as it is integral relationships. Comparing 20-somethings to re, who remained active in their faith beyond high school with 20-somethings who dropped out of church. This is fascinating. The study uncovered a significant difference between the two. Those who stay were twice as likely to have a close personal friendship with an adult inside of church. Those who left, and that was about 59%, versus 31% who say they had a close personal relationship with an adult, left. Think about that for a minute. That millennial age, whom you may or may not have noticed, were losing. Why have they stayed? Because an adult, that's all of some, most of us, had a close personal relationship. Now, it's correlational, not 
causation. So just because you have that doesn't mean that that will happen. But it's really interesting. That is what they look for is a close relationship. The next group coming right on the heels, the Gen Zs, who some have nicknamed screen-agers rather than teenagers. They're the group who grew up uh, wanting to be inclusive, having questions about things, understanding cyberbullying, have a different view of diversity and equality, a blurred vision of right and wrong, confused with what's good, okay, bad. Um, twice as likely to claim to be an atheist than adults would. That group of people, like with the millennials, wants people to want them. Hmm. And I'm gonna tell you just really honestly, that's awfully hard because I, as a 50-something-year-old, would just want to tell them the way it is. And one of the things that does, much like my umpiring example, is it just pushes them further and further away until they say, well, that's what the church does. It just tells me. When our relationships with people outside of our generation, even within our generation, are based in love and good deeds, my relationship with the Lord, it's not about me telling them this is how you are going to do it. If I would have told my boys this is how you're going to fix it, they would have never mended their relationship. Many of you can think about relationships you have even within the church, within your family, that are broken because somebody insisted this is what has to happen. When you have relationships that are built on mutual love, that are built on relationships with each other, intentional time to be able to just sit and talk, share, not be told, things change. Verse 25, let us not give up meeting together. Now, don't take that out of context and say, well, the people that aren't here today should have heard that. It's not talking about that, but it's also talking about each other, as some of them are having doing, but encouraging one another, all the more as the day is approaching. Let me close with 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter four, verses eight and nine. I'll start at verse seven. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded, for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep love. Above all, keep loving one another with sincere love. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another with just a little bit of grumbling, if you want to. No, that doesn't. Let's read that again. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Ugh. I wish it wouldn't have said that. It'd been a lot easier just to say show hospitality 
without grumbling. How does this fit? It fits like this. We as a church need to be willing to be able to say, sure, come on over. Sure, even let's go grab a cup of coffee. Sure, let's go do this together. Sure, let's have some time together. Especially for the generations that are behind most of us, the millennials and the Generation Z. Especially for them. If we just hope that they'll figure it out, there's enough studies that say they're not figuring it out. Well, if we could just get them into church, that would fix them. No, it doesn't. Well, if we can just get them into youth group, that'll fix them. No, it doesn't. Well, if we can just make them listen to this podcast, it'll fix them. No, it doesn't. What helps is with you and I intentionally having relationships with them. We have those relationships because we have that relationship with our Lord. I'll admit it's not easy. It's not simple because I would much rather just go on with life. But I would encourage you because we now have such an amazing opportunity to have a relationship with our Lord. I would encourage you to say, because of that, I can have relationships with other people within our congregation, outside of our congregation that we work with, people that we hang out with. And when we have those, our conversations need to sometimes be more superficial than do you see the Penguins won? Well, they should have won the other day, but at least they won last night. It should be more superficial than, wow, do you think it's going to get more snow? It's got to be more in depth. Maybe something like this. So what have you been reading about lately in Scripture to a Christian? I'm just talking Christian to Christian here. So what did you think about the sermon? So what's God's been speaking to you about. How can I pray for you? Those are dangerous and sometimes hard conversations to have. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say this. Guys, it is 10 times some reason harder for us to do that than for females. I don't know why, but it is. It'd be a lot easier just that we just talk superficially about stuff that doesn't matter one bit than to have an intentional, important conversation. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are the God who, Lord, from the beginning, desired to have a relationship with us. Lord, that relationship was broken. And Lord, through all of time, your goal is just to rebuild that relationship. And Lord, you set us now on a path to be able to have that relationship with you, but also with each other. And Lord, I pray that the words, Lord, in your scripture would move in our hearts. And I just pray this in your son's name. Amen.